Welcome back, everybody, to the podcast. My name is Kyle Krieger. Thrilled you're here to join us on this episode uh, with a guy that we just recently connected with, Ken Ehrman, a teacher, a instructional coach, uh, not by title, uh, instructional technology specialist, but um, by trade. And it was great to connect with him after you know we connected through Twitter to talk a little bit about how to use technology in the classroom effectively. What especially struck me by what he said was that he um, always teaches the kids the platform before he tries to teach them content on the platform, which I thought was super, super helpful and super good. So this is part one. Uh, Part two will come out next week. We hope you enjoyed. And as always, thanks for listening. We hope you'll subscribe and like and share. But please enjoy this episode with our friend Ken Ehrman. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. My name is Kyle Krieger. Um, my guy Wilkie is a little bit busy today, but I did not want to miss an opportunity to connect with a fellow educator who's out in Pennsylvania. Uh, he reached out uh, via Twitter after I posted an episode that I did with Ray Hewitt. So glad to have. Ken Ehrman on the podcast. Ken, thanks for reaching out and thanks for making time. Yeah, for sure. I'm super excited to be here. Yeah, you know, it. it's that old Twitter. It'll get you. I, yep. I, I forget. I get so hung up, I think, sometimes in Instagram. And like I get hung up in people telling me like I have to be on TikTok that I forget how good Twitter is for teachers. So um, like I said, yeah, I, we- I, uh, I still have not moved away from Twitter. Um, I only, I don't use Instagram even personally. I I don't use it. Uh, I'm not big on social media outside of, outside of, you know, networking with educators on Twitter. And I have not dove into TikTok at all yet because I've heard it's very addicting. Yeah. You know, and that's, and it's interesting because I've, Twitter has always been the one that I've wavered on. Like I have times where I'm really good on Twitter. Mm Mm-hmm. And then I go to Instagram and then I go back to Twitter and then I go to TikTok and then I go back to Twitter. I, I, I wish I would have, I wish I would have been consistent just on Twitter. And there's a part of me that wonders too, that if I just moved to Twitter and I got rid of the others, if my life wouldn't overall be better and I wouldn't still be able to, to connect. Cause you know, primarily for us teachers is who we're connecting with as well. So but it's it's interesting. I maybe I need to take a well, I've been so bad about social media like the last year. I've just been so burnt out on it mm-hmm. that I haven't done much. But I, I know I gotta make a better commitment to to Twitter though. So for our listeners, if you don't mind, could you give us just a little bit of your background, your teaching experience, and what you're doing now? Absolutely. Yeah. So like you said, I'm from uh, Pennsylvania, so I'm in the suburbs of Philadelphia. And I was born and raised here. And so I started my career um, actually as a daily substitute, which I think is the best worst experience for every educator. I learned so much from that experience. You know, I could walk into classrooms and I would know within five minutes if it was a well-managed classroom or not. And so then I would spend my day trying to figure out why was it so well-managed? Why was it not so well-managed? But if I, if you can avoid being a sub, I would highly recommend it because it's, it's not any fun, but it was a really valuable learning experience for me. It landed me into my first position teaching second grade for maternity leave. 
And then uh, the following year is where I landed in the Penridge School District teaching fifth grade. So I spent about seven years teaching fifth grade. I started teaching math to the entire grade level. And then after about, I think about four or five years, we switched into being a self-contained homeroom. And so I had my, my kids for the entire day and I got to teach every subject, which was a, a really fun experience in of itself. During my time there, I was super passionate about creating opportunities and experiences for my kids. Student-centered learning was a huge passion of mine. I created, um, I, I reutilized our computer lab times. So we had five specials and computer lab, the fifth special was left to the homeroom teacher. And so I kind of re redesigned that into being a more STEM, STEM experience. Um, and then, and then kind of, uh, permeate that to, out to my grade level partners. Um, I also started a new studio there and there's now a new studio in every elementary school that we have. So I'm very proud of that. But it was always centered around creating experiences for kids and putting them in the driver's seat, putting them in control of those experiences. And after I left fifth grade, I became one of the first pilot teachers to run an official STEM special. So it ended up replacing our computer lab district wide and then after only one year, I, I honestly thought I would have been there longer, but an opportunity came for me to move into secondary and be an instructional coach. So now I focus my time as a secondary instructional coach, supporting teachers, supporting administrators with best teaching practices, technology integration. Last year was just helping them survive um, and, and even a little bit of that this year. So that's been my experience in Penn Ridge. Um, I'm very proud of of what I've done there and, and what I've been able to accomplish as well as just being part of a, a fantastic school district. I'm, I'm so taken because I started subbing too, and mm -hmm. I like totally understand what you were saying about knowing a classroom when you get into it. Yep. Like I had one experience, so I'm secondary trained, like middle school, high school, social studies. And I got a three day gig to teach second grade. And I went in there and I just got eaten alive the first day so bad that I told the principal, like, I'm sorry, like, I, I just can't do this again. And the principal was actually very accommodating there. They were like, I appreciate you letting, you know, letting me know. But what do you think you, besides just teaching practices, what do you, what do you think you learned from that time subbing to start? I, I would say you definitely build confidence in yourself because you're you're forced to. You're you're put into a classroom where you don't know any of the kids, you don't know any of the systems, and you just have to be confident to greet them as they come in, introduce yourself, you know, try to establish some level of rapport as quickly as you can. And, you know, I think it also helped me realize that the relationship piece is so key because you don't really have that as a substitute. And so, you know, even in situations like you were saying, you did three days in second grade, when I could sub in a room two days in a row, it was like the greatest thing ever because the second day they know my, they knew my name and I could, you know, know their names, at least some of them. And so, um, you know, it just, I think it's a, it's a confidence builder or it could be a confidence uh, diminisher if you're not finding success as a substitute, but it definitely kind of licks your chops as a teacher and, and just forces you to, you know, bring your A game on a daily basis because you never know what you're going to walk into, depending on the grade level, new school, new, new atmosphere. 
Yeah, I, I started there too. And, and, and I totally understand what you're saying about, um, so I subbed in like small town, Wisconsin, maybe only like 20,000 people too. So, you know, by mid year, I had subbed in most of the schools. So the kids mm -hmm. knew who I was, but the thing for me, that was the toughest was so many of the schools. I literally just would go in and all, all the sub notes said were turn on movie or <laughs> pass out worksheet or whatever it would be. And I just kind of sat there and I did my own thing. And I wish like looking back on it, that I would have tried to engage kids and build relationships and do stuff because it would have been such a, such a valuable like experience to be able to, cause I wound up the next year moving all the way from Wisconsin to Houston, Texas. Mm -hmm. So there was a huge gap you know, culturally between me and the kids I taught, I wish I would have had a little more of that experience um, that, or I had taken a little more of that, but I'm interested, how does one go about building a new studio in an elementary school? So I had a very supportive principal who uh, started my second year. And the first time I met him, I knew I, I don't remember if it was just based on things he had said to us or just on kind of learning who he was before he came to our school. But the first day I met him, I came up to him and I said, you know, hi, my name is Ken. I, I'm one of your fifth grade teachers. If you ever want to try anything with technology, come to me and I'll do it for you. And, and apparently that was like the best moment ever for him because that was going to be a huge initiative of his. And, you know, I came to learn as a more experienced teacher and now as a coach, when you have a teacher that's willing to try things for you and, you know, kind of get the the pieces rolling, it's a big win for an administrator. So I, I want to say it was probably his third or fourth year. He said, you know, we kind of were just brainstorming talking. We said it would be really awesome to have video announcements. We didn't have that at all. And so he said, I'm going to get you an iPad, a tripod and microphones, and I want you to figure it out. And so I did a lot of research. I, that summer I was a part of a, like a technology innovator summit that I was nominated for. And I learned a lot there and I ended up landing on this app called touchcast, which is a, it's a new studio all in one app. And it's a phenomenal program. I'm almost positive. It's still free at the time. It was free and you could run a new studio. You could record your videos, you could edit, you could put in you know, bottom third titles like you'd see on the news, you could have pictures and video clips popped in. It was a really powerful experience. And so we painted a corner of the library green and we just went for it. And from day one, my, my top priority was how do I put the students in the driver's seat? And so I learned the technology with them. We figured out you know, how do we get what was previously read into a segmented show uh, and we just kept building on it and so after a while we had three cameras operating we had multiple angles running in the studio because you could run it all through this app we had live weather outside you know we had all these pieces that that we built and we grew together and my role was to, to sit there to watch to observe to keep an eye on the clock to make sure we were going to finish recording in the time window we had and to just kind of keep them, you know, on pace and with direction. And so coming to the end of my first year, I, I reflected on how much the students and the program had grown, how much the students knew, 
And that it was only with fifth graders. It was a fifth grade exclusive club. And they're, they're the top grade level at elementary in our district. And I came to the realization, I'm going to have to start completely over next year. That's going to suck. So I open up applications for fourth graders and we hired uh, like five or six fourth grade interns who spent the last month with us. I told the fourth grade teachers, you know, put a star on the application of leaders. I don't care if they don't even know how to turn on a computer. I want kids that can lead. And so they joined the team. They learned all the ropes and, you know, the fifth graders at first, they were kind of upset. They're like, they're going to take our time, you know, working the camera or, you know, reading the news. And I said, listen, you've built this program. It is now your job to pass the torch. And you'll know that you did your job if next year's program is better than this year. If it's better than this year, you did your job by creating a tradition. And so, you know, I really focused on that, that kind of that like mentality of, of the team. And it just snowballed year after year. You know, I had fourth graders coming in, in September and we were starting where we were in May. And so by that following May, it was the same message to those fifth graders, pass the torch. It's got to be better than it was the year before. And it just, it snowballed and grew, grew so fast. We had fantastic students. Um, they were able to present at a, a tech conference um, with other student showcases. And, and we actually did that a couple of years in a row and, and using that same idea the kids that presented the first time, they went to middle school. The following year, they came back and they trained the kids going the second year, what, do you, what to expect at this conference. They prepped them and they coached them for what this experience was going to be like. And it really just turned into to something that you know, I was super proud of. And then I, I started to realize like, all right, I might be leaving to take this STEM position. Or I had a feeling that my time at the school was coming to an end soon. And so then I had the same responsibility of finding another teacher to pass the torch to. And so I haven't been in the school in, in I guess, three years. And the program is better than when I was there. And again, like that's what I'm proud of is that it, it's better than when I was there because that tradition has, has carried on. I really wanted to come back to what you said, though, about how you went to your principal and just said, hey, like if you want to try something, like I'm your person. And a couple of questions came up for me first, you know, you mentioned shortly thereafter, you didn't realize how beneficial that was. So could you explain that a little more from your perspective now of being an instructional coach or these other things as to what the value is of finding teachers that are willing to take a swing at something new? I mean, as teachers, we want to we want to listen to our colleagues. We want to follow our colleagues, be inspired by our, our colleagues you know, there are great administrators that can inspire staffs, run great initiatives, and those things do happen. But when you have a teacher leader who is, you know, really getting the ball rolling or trying something, figuring out what works, what doesn't work, here's what you can expect. It just, it, it's a great way to get everybody else to buy in. And so, you know, those teacher leaders are one of the most important pieces in the success of a school and a, and a district, because they're the ones that are willing to, you know, wor work through the murk of things not being perfect and figuring it out and then work collaborating with those admin administrators on here's what's good, here's what's not good, here's how we can prep everyone for that. And, you know, as teachers, we just love seeing 
our colleagues be successful and take risks. It, it, it allows us to feel a little bit more comfortable or safe doing that or knowing, Hey, I'm going to try this lesson. And if it doesn't go great, you know, Bob's across the hall and I can lean on him for support if I need it, if I need to talk to someone before or after the lesson. And so, you know, teachers that are willing to try stuff, like keep trying, don't worry if not everybody else is doing it because people will catch on if you're doing something that's good for students. And it just, it just can really completely change the the culture of a staff. Yeah. And that's, kind of the the second part of the question I wanted to ask is why why you think there are certain schools or certain teachers or you know why schools or teachers are afraid to even just like you said go outside the norm on a particular lesson so in your experience both teaching and you know working with teachers what do you think gets in the way of them wanting to to take these risks and to do these things that are outside of the norm? I think it can be a variety of things. Some people, it's just not in their personality and that's okay. They need to see a couple people do it first and then they're willing to try. They, they want to try, they want to do things that are great for students. They just don't have it in them to be the first person. And that's totally fine. Um, I think part of it can be bad administrators Great administrators can, you know, completely shift the culture of a school and bad administrators can wipe that away twice as fast. And so, you know, I have seen teachers that because of previous administrators feel like if they don't do exactly what is in a program or exactly what is in a curriculum, they are going to have their hands slapped. They're going to be written up or have some sort of like actual punishment for for trying something different. And so, you know, I think, and, and it takes a long time for teachers to forget that I have worked with teachers who had an administrator like that five, six, 10 years previously, and they still kind of have that pit in their stomach of that, that fear of taking that risk and doing something outside of the norm. Um, but, you know, I, I always had the approach and what I try to encourage teachers with is if you're doing what's, what you believe is best for students if you've thought about why you're doing it and that justification again circles around, I think this will be best for my students because then you always have a, you always have something to fall back on if you're ever questioned about it. Yeah. I mean, and, and I think you spoke to a lot of the experience that I've had certain places and I know, you know, friends have had, cause you do have, like, I know people who have taught who are willing, you know, they, they go out and they try things and they do all this different stuff. And when it, it doesn't work, they're like, yeah, it's a part of the process. But mm -hmm. I also know friends and have had experiences in schools where there is that deep seated fear like that. If it doesn't work, this is going to be the thing that doesn't get my contract renewed or stuff like that. So it's, I guess it's so, it's so hard because it is so different. You, you know, like you said, you could be just across town and have a totally different experience from, from somebody else when you're trying to do the exact same thing. So do you, do you feel like that's the, the school you, the schools you've been at have been very supportive? Did you always, did you always feel like you had that support before you went into it or did you just go into it? And then people kind of were like, all right, we're going to just let Ken go do his thing. 
I think it's a little bit of a combination of both. Uh, I, I've definitely had supportive administrators, but also I've had the mentality of I'll, I'll ask for forgiveness before I ask for permission. When I'm coming from the, the frame of mind that I believe what I'm doing is best for students. And, you know, I would always have the, the information, the data, whatever to support that. So, you know, there were times where I really slowed down my, my math pacing because I would give the same type of quick auto-checking assessments to like Socrative or Google Forms every year. And I've been teaching this subject for seven years now. And, and some of those years, it was two or three homerooms. And I had a class that their score was just significantly lower than I'd ever seen. So I paused and I did a little boot camp on the skills that I knew they needed in order to be successful with our curriculum. And that put me behind. And, you know, but if I was questioned on that, I had the data to support it. I had the, the, the logical reasoning behind it. And I knew that I would catch up because otherwise I would have been playing catch up all year trying to plug all these holes instead of just, you know, creating a, a solid foundation in the beginning. And so I, I do feel that I've been very supported in my district and, and our teachers are overall. But I also think it's important for teachers to like take some onus on this and not just do things because they look cool. What's your reasoning behind it? If you're trying a new, if you're trying a new tech tool, what's the reason? What are you hoping to get from, from the lesson? What are you hoping is, is different? Not just, I saw this on Twitter or I saw a friend use it, or I heard about it and it seems it's fun. You know, let's get beyond that. What are you trying to change in your classroom? So I think it kind of goes both ways where we need administrators to very, uh, explicitly support teacher risk, but teachers also need to take risks from a position of purpose, if that makes sense. Yeah, you know, and it was so funny because we talked a little bit before we hit record about how you're you're strictly just on Twitter. And when you mentioned, you know, you see something online, I feel like teacher Instagram can be especially dangerous for that when you go out and you see somebody doing something, whether it's, you know, having hip hop battles or you're having classroom transformations or this or that. And, you know, like you said, there's a new platform, there's a new technology that's coming out, it seems like weekly. And I, I really loved what you said about ensuring that you're trying technology for a particular purpose. Right. I think, how do you, for you though, I mean, and maybe this isn't something you could quantify, but how do you really evaluate a platform or a piece of technology before you institute it or encourage other teachers to do so? So the one thing I'll say is your, your aptitude or your ability to use technology should be heavily factored into the evaluative process. I am tech savvy, you know, just because I just like problem solving and I like trying things. Um, it's kind of funny because I was never a video gamer as a kid, but I've really gravitated toward text toward towards technology. But, you know, if you are somewhat tech savvy and that you can play and, and you can figure out, you know, I would say is, you know, again, what do you hope that it's going to change about your lesson? Is this something that you're going to use once? Is it plugging like one simple hole in your classroom or is it a very versatile tool that you can use over and over again? So Google Slides is, you know, it seems like such a simple program, but it's something that I love to leverage a lot because, yes, it is a presentation program, but you can also use it to just make flashcards. You can use it to storyboard. You can use it to plan out your writing because it's 
little tiles that you can move around. It's easy to, it's easy to manipulate that. Um, so it was a tool that I invested time into my classroom because I wanted my students to use it repetitively. Um, but as far as evaluating, you know, I think it's important to, to lean on people that may have experience with it or again, approaching it with a certain lens, you know, not, I've heard of Nearpod. I want to start using Nearpod. It should be in my classroom. I would love my students to have more freedom in creating when we get to our writing unit. How can I, what tools are out there to help me accomplish that? So starting from a position of this is what I hope to accomplish, what's out there and leaning on a tech coach you have in your district or a tech savvy colleague or using social media instead of starting with the tool and figuring out how that tool fits your classroom. So starting with that purpose and then finding the tool or tools to fit that, I, I think is, is one of your most important pieces for evaluating. Yeah, I can't, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've started the opposite way that you would advise where you see a flashy piece of tech and you decide you're going to use it and then try to fit I mean, that's such a good evaluation. And, and even just what you said, like taking something so simple as Google Slides, because really, I mean, my kids only use it for presentations, but man, just to, to think about even just storyboarding or, or, or doing that, I think is really like a powerful lesson to ensure to ensure that you're getting the most out of the platforms that you use. You know, like you said, are you using one platform as just a one-off as a particular thing, or are you really trying to dig into one particular platform and use it to its capabilities? So I, yeah, I the, guess the other thing, if I could add something on that, yeah. um, even just sticking with Google Slides, a skill that I, or a method I developed in my classroom or I started to use and that I encourage teachers to is I, I call it blending objectives. So if you are... If you know you're going to use a tool multiple times, Google Slides, you should not introduce Google Slides when you are doing a presentation project in your classroom. Your kids should have been exposed to that many times before that. So I look at there is always they can students can only people can only learn one new thing at a time. So if I want to teach them Google Slides, I'm going to review a, a content skill. We'll say vocabulary. So I'm going to introduce Google Slides. Here's how you add a title. Here's how you add text boxes. Here's how you add pictures. Take our 10 vocab words and make one slide for every for every vocab word. The title is the word. Put a definition. Find a picture that, that showcases that word. So now I've reviewed vocabulary, which is important to do in my curriculum, and I taught them the basics of Google Slides. And so I continue to layer in simple activities like that. So when I get to the project, now Google Slides is not new. That becomes the review side of the equation, and the new side can now be your content. Now you can teach new content while reviewing tech tools that you already have leveraged in your classroom. Hey, everybody. Thanks for checking out this episode. Uh, please, please like and share the podcast, The ABCs of Inspired Teaching. Find us online at The ABCs of Inspired Teaching at its.will.law.iii or at it's Kyle Krieger. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. We're trying to grow our following in all those places. So if you want to go give us a follow, we'd really appreciate it. Otherwise, have a great week.